Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. cleanses us from sin. Lord, we give all glory unto your name and we worship you. Over to you, Pastor Gary. Okay, praise the Lord and welcome everyone. It's good to see all those joining with us this morning as we are coming to a conclusion, not only of our series that we're going to consider in just a moment, but this lockdown that has uh, had us all um, separated from fellowship and I believe today there I don't know the specifics concerning church which um, I have to follow up a little bit further but they're letting after today you can have 100 people in a cafe in a pub um, in the weddings and funerals so I don't see why that would exclude the church and so um, hopefully we'll have some further indication of that but like um, it may have been mentioned we have to wait for clearance from the Seventh-day Adventists who were meant to actually meet tomorrow, but they've delayed it till the 30th of this month. And so once we hear back from them, we'll have some clear car- clarification in relation to our um, resuming of uh, church services. So let's be patient. Let's just endure and uh, it won't be too long. Praise the Lord. But it's good to be with you all this morning and looking forward to the word of God and this series that we've been considering the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. And so um, um, it's just so glorious to look at these things as we have over the time that we've been working through this, because there's so much contained behind each saying that Jesus says it is specific. It is prophetic. It has such spiritual uh, truth that's behind it in terms of God's plan and his purpose. And it's all designed uh, to to, uh, teach us something and to show us something about his redemptive work at Calvary. And so it's been a wonderful time to be able to go through these things. And we've still got the one we're going to look at today, which is number six. And then we'll conclude with number seven uh, the next time we come together. But it's this particular saying that we're going to look at this morning that gets my heart excited, I must confess, because you can't listen to the words that Jesus speaks and understand them with the, the comprehension that is uh, and the truth that's contained within them without being excited in your heart and uh, really shouting amen to the words of Christ here at, on the cross. And these three words that Jesus spoke, um, they, they, they set up a turning point, if you want to call it that, in the, in the context of the crucifixion. Because as one uh, has been said, it's, it's from tragedy to triumph. 
And up until this point, we know that there has been immense suffering that Jesus has had to endure, and not just in the physical sense, but the spiritual applications and realities that are, are at work behind the cross, spiritually speaking. And so there's a lot that's going on in the supernatural and spiritual realm. And so all of these things are, are, are related to the tragedy of, uh, uh, of the sufferings of Christ at Calvary in that he bore our sin. But this moves to triumph. And in doing so, they are captured in the words of Christ that we will consider this morning in John's gospel. And really the title of this message is that in saying that it's the seventh, uh, the sixth saying uh, of the, uh, of Christ on the cross is a cry of victory. And it really is a cry of victory um, in the literal sense, as we will see, but it's the victory that Christ is accomplishing on the cross, not only in himself and his tri own triumph over sin, but also on our behalf. For us, for you and I, so that we can become partakers of the divine nature and of this great salvation that is in Christ Jesus. You know, it was the late Leonard Ravenhill. And as he considered uh, these particular three words, he said it was these three words that terrorized hell. And when you think about it, Truly, it is the case, as we will see, these three words that Jesus spoke, they terrorized hell because they were prophetically uh, a fulfillment of prophecy, as we will consider in a moment. But truly, this was where Satan was defeated and he was dealt a fatal blow here at Calvary's cross. Do you remember in Matthew's gospel? As Jesus is going about his ministry and there's a demon possessed man that comes to him. And as, he's, uh, as this confrontation is there, the demon in that man speaks. And he says in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter eight, he says, uh, 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 the demon cries out of the man and says, what have we to do with you, Jesus, son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? That's how Matthew records it, before the time. And so because the, the demonic world understood that there was a time coming, they didn't understand how it was going to unfold. Had they known the rulers of this world, not just physically, but spiritually would not have done what they were doing. They thought that they were thwarting God's purposes, but this was the very thing they were fulfilling was God's purposes. And so they didn't understand uh, how God was going to do it. But they, uh, he says, have you come here to torment us before the time? Because the, the fact is, is that Christ was going to deal with the ruler of this world, Satan himself, uh, and the hosts of demons uh, that were associated. And Calvary dealt uh, a, a death blow to uh, Satan's purposes. And ultimately, we know that there is more that awaits him in his judgment and the execution of those things. But these three words terrorized hell. And I want to consider with you these words this morning as found in our text, because they deal with the cross. They deal with the victory of the cross as Jesus is now turning from tragedy to triumph and, uh, and from his sufferings to victory. And so let's read the words that are found in John's gospel, chapter 19, and we're going to look at verse 30 as we follow suit. 
with the scriptures that we've considered previously. In verse 30, the Bible says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. There it is. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. But that isn't for the, for the next part. But these words, it is finished. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, again, as we consider these words this morning, we have to take into context what's going on because the verses 28, 29 and 30 uh, uh, and uh, these last few words or statements of Jesus are all divinely interconnected. And so with, we looked at uh, the aspect of I first and, uh, and again, we're looking at the background of what is going on. Remember, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is uh, for three hours at 12 o'clock until three o'clock in the day. It is dark and it's gone dark as Jesus, he bears the sin of the world as he bears the wrath of God uh, uh, for our sin upon himself. Uh, and as he is offered as an offering for sin. Remember, we looked at the divine backdrop of the, of the, the flaming sword. Lord, that consumed the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary and it was reduced as the scripture says to ashes and so this gave way to what we were considering as Jesus said these words I thirst he was offering himself up and at the conclusion of those three hours at the conclusion of him bearing the sin of the world at the conclusion of him bearing in himself for the judgment of God for our sin. He says, I thirst. And then quickly after that, he will say it is finished. But remember, uh, at the conclusion, when he says these words, I thirst, the, the Bible says that a vessel full of sour wine was there and they filled it with the, uh, the sponge with sour wine. They put it on hyssop. Remember, we looked at this aspect of hyssop and they put it to his mouth. And the sour wine representing, uh, again, the, 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 the fullness of God's wrath being poured out upon him and him uh, purchasing our salvation. But also the hyssop branch in scripture was a symbol of, uh, of, of applying the blood of the sacrifice to the sinner. Uh, we looked at uh, the Passover, if you'll remember, and the hyssop that the, the, they dipped the blood dip the hips into the blood and then put it over the doorpost and the angel of death went over and so forth. And so it was an applicator, the hyssops. So here's Jesus. He is symbolic because again, we know Hebrews especially dwells on this as a whole. Uh, it tells us what's going on spiritually in heaven as uh, through the cross and that the blood of Jesus Christ now, not the, the, the blood of goats and calves and lambs as such, but the blood uh, and animals, but the blood of Jesus is in heaven and in, he enters heaven itself with his own blood and makes uh, uh, redemption for us and remission of sins and so the hyssop branch is symbolic now it is ready to be applied the, the salvation of god is complete that he has been offered as the the burnt offering he has been offered as the sin offering he's been offered as the the the, the drink offering and the peace offering and and so forth and salvation is completed he is ready to offer that to you and i and so he says the words it is finished his work 
of redemption, the price that he paid to redeem us back to God, his sacrificial death, he says the words, it is finished. He doesn't say, I am finished. Even though it was he who came to fulfill the Father's will, he doesn't say, I am finished. He says, it is finished. The work of redemption, the offering is complete. It is finished. And so it's interesting, as we look at this a little further, I just want to bring to your attention that in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark, in both instances, we see a little bit further context to what's going on when Jesus says it is finished, because the Bible says in both of these uh, uh, Gospels that Jesus with a loud voice. So in other words, he didn't just quietly say these things. Uh, but rather, there were those that were around him, the crowds that were there, and Jesus in a loud voice, the Bible says, says these words, it is finished. After the intense sufferings that he has endured, he speaks these words, he speaks them loud, he speaks them so that he is heard. And for good reason, because they are very, very important in the context of what we're going to consider this morning. And so there are a number of aspects that I want to consider with you. But let's firstly just focus on the word finished here in the Greek, because the word as we would understand it in the English, it means to come to an end. That's what in its most simplest form to come to an end. It means to complete. It means to execute. It means to conclude. And it also means this, to discharge a debt. In the Greek, there are various applications of the word used in Greek culture. And so by considering these as a whole, we get again uh, an overall view and understanding of what Jesus meant when he said the words, it is finished. So let's look at firstly, the first thing we want to consider in terms of him finishing and completing and bringing to an end his redemptive work and his the salvation that he wrought for us is he finished the work that his father gave him to do. This is the first thing that we would consider. You've got to understand the Bible says that the cross was foreordained before the foundation of the world in the foreknowledge of God. God knew even before he created men in perfection, he knew that sin would enter the world. He would knew that he would, he knew the justice that would be demanded and he was already willing to pay that price. And yet here we have Christ uh, some thousands of years later after the creation, he comes onto the scene. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, the Bible says these words. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. So in the volume of the book, it is written of me. 
See, Jesus is making a distinction here. And, the, and in Hebrews, the writer is making a distinction from the, the, the blood of bulls and goats and animals. And he's making the emphasis. Those things were just shadows. They were insignificant they, in terms of what they accomplished. But Christ, it is all about the coming of Christ. It is all about the sacrifice of Christ in the volume of the book. Isn't it amazing how the prof there are so many prophecies in the Bible? Isn't it amazing the deeper you go and consider the, the, the Old Testament and all that it points to and all that it relates, you see Christ everywhere in all of its types and shadows pointing to his coming, pointing to his work, pointing to his redemptive work and ultimately pointing to the cross in the volume of the book. And it's as we read those scriptures, as we read the Bible, that we see more and more of this. And Jesus said, I have come to do your will, O God, the will of the Father. At the age of 12, you'll remember, he's in the temple, and he's, uh, he's, he's asking questions of, uh, of all the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And then the, the Bible says that uh, uh, the, the, Mary and Joseph and the family have gone a couple of days journey into, uh, uh, to leave, to go home from Jerusalem. But he's stuck there. So they go back and they say, where have you been? And Jesus says, at the age of 12, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? You see, this was always on his mind. He knew who he was, what his purpose was, why he came and what was going to happen. In John's gospel, chapter five, verse 36, Jesus says, but I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the father has sent me. Jesus said, I have come to finish the work of the Father. And he had come, in the, as it was written in the volume of the book, to do your will. As we know in Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. And he is finishing that work. And here he is in, on Calvary, hanging upon that cross. And with a loud voice, he declares, it is finished. And it, what is finished is the fact that he was making his soul an offering for sin. This is what Isaiah tells us in chapter 53, that it pleased the Lord to bruise him when you make his soul an offering for sin. This brings us to the second aspect that I want to consider with you in the words, it is finished. Because uh, this aspect of an offering for sin points to the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. Now, we'll get to that, but uh, I want to just make the connection that we are considering the high priest in terms of that, according to the Levitical priesthood, according to the nation of Israel, because what happens with the high priest and his words during the Passover period, they coincide with what is happening with Christ on the cross. But let it be known this morning that Christ is the high priest. Amen. Again, all of those high priests were the shadows. 
There are no priests. Amen. You call no men a priest on earth in today. We have only one priest. Amen. The high priest, which is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that, and again, this is all outlined for us in the book of Hebrews. And the Bible says that he is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And in doing so, he is a priest forever. Hallelujah. You see, this is important to understand because when we look at the cross, when we look at the sufferings of Christ, when we look at him being made an offering for sin, what we are observing is the, uh, and his life as well, actually, not just his death, but we are, we are observing uh, his, his ministry as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, Jesus fulfilled various roles or title. He fulfills various titles. He's king. His prophet and his priest. And isn't it interesting that uh, uh, he came in his work of redemption? He came in his sacrificial work on Calvary. He came not as a, a king as such, uh, but as a high priest. He came to, as a king to the nation of Israel. That's why on the cross it said the king of the Jews, but the Jews had rejected his kingship. They had rejected him. But Christ came as high priest. And so this is important for us to understand. He was the Lamb of God who was to atone for sin, who was to take away the sin of the world. Now, you must remember the crucifixion is happening and coinciding with the feast of Passover, uh, 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 the feast of the Jews. And this is, this is significant and important because the scenes of Calvary and what is happening on that cross, they are, they are working together uh, with what is going on uh, with uh, the high priest and the nation of Israel during the Passover period. The parallels are numerous. The parallels are remarkable. The events that are taking place are no coincidence. This is divinely ordained by God down to the detail, right down to the words in which the high priests would speak at the conclusion of offering the Passover lamb when he would say the words, it is finished. You see, this is so important because as you study the Jewish Passover and as you study the Jewish customs of Passover period and how, uh, and on, on, especially on the day of Passover, uh, what would take place during that period, this all coincides with Jesus and his crucifixion and what is happening, and especially his words on the cross. It is finished. You see, according to the Passover uh, and Jewish custom, the Passover lamb was offered by the high priest at 3 p.m. in the day. Now, this coincides exactly with the words that Jesus spoke. Remember, it went dark. Jesus was crucified at the third hour, which was uh, at nine in the morning. And then after three hours on the cross at 12 o'clock, it went dark. And at the end of that period, it's, it's now three o'clock in the afternoon. And Jesus says these words, it is finished. And it is happening and transpiring at the time in which the high priest offering up the sacrificial Passover lamb. How glorious is this that is going on as we consider God's word this morning? You see, the high priest of Israel, on the day of Passover, he had three official duties. And so he would offer up the morning sacrifice 
So this was at nine o'clock at a.m. when Jesus was put on that cross. So he would offer up the first sacrifice and offer us at 9 a.m. But he would also offer up an evening sacrifice, which was usually at 3 p.m. But on the day of Passover, from what I understand, this the, 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 the schedule of events was different in which the Passover lamb, was was crucified uh, was sacrificed at um at 3 p.m but the evening sacrifice was offered at 12 noon so what would happen is at nine o'clock the the high priest would offer up the the uh the the morning offering the sacrificial offering and then uh, during this period and this day of Passover, literally hundreds and thousands of families of Israel who had come to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover would bring their offering, whether it was a lamb or, or a, a bull or a, a pigeon or whatever it was for uh, to the Lord. And they would bring it to the to the priests and they would there was sacrifice that was going on uh, during that day all throughout the course of that period. And so here it is, you come to the, the sixth hour at 12 o'clock, and now the high priest is making the offering of the evening sacrifice, which would usually be at three. And this is the period when Jesus, uh, the Bible says, spoke those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it went dark for three hours. You see, Jesus was being offered. He was the morning sacrifice. He was the evening sacrifice. And here it is for three hours. And then he says, it is finished. You see, the high priest at this point in time, at three o'clock, after being exhausted from all the, uh, the responsibilities and all that was going on uh, in the days leading up to the Passover and the Passover day itself, at 3 p.m., the high priest would take a, uh, uh, and would offer a Passover lamb on behalf of all the people and he would slice its throat he would spill its blood and as a last sacrifice representative for all the people he would spread his arms wide and he would speak the words at 3 p.m it is finished they have come to a conclusion of their passover the sacrifices have been made the Passover lamb on behalf of the people has been made. It is finished. And what is so glorious is that the exact time Jesus has stretched out his hands upon a cross and he speaks the words in a loud voice. He cries out, it is finished. Hallelujah. Think about that. Let that resonate in our minds and our hearts this morning. You see, this sacrifice of Christ was no ordinary sacrifice, church. This was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. This was the sacrifice where a full atonement would be made. You see, though not the day of atonement, according to the Jewish feasts and timings, Atonement is clearly made during the time of Passover and scripture is very clear on this. And so it is important because in the day of atonement, what would the high priest do? He would take the blood of the sacrificial animal and he would then bring that uh, once a year. He would go into the Holy of Holies and he would take that blood and he would pour it on the mercy seat and uh, uh, and that would become um <clears throat> the sin offering and make atonement for all of the sins of the people until 
uh, uh, until the, the next time next year when they would have to go through the same process. You see, uh, but the Bible says that Christ's blood is something completely different and what Christ accomplished, he accomplished in heaven itself. So let's go to Hebrews chapter uh, 9. I want you to read with me. Hebrews chapter 9. We'll look at verse 11 and 12. Because again, speaking of the high priesthood of Christ, it says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation, because we're talking about the tabernacle that is in heaven. He says in verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, not with his, but, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all having obtained eternal redemption. Listen to those words. As high priest in making that sacrifice, his blood, amen, went into not the tabernacle that was made with hands, but into heaven itself, and he made atonement upon that altar once and for all, and for all it's an eternal redemption, church. And this must be identified and understood because when Jesus said it is finished, he meant that it was never ever to happen again. There were, he, his sacrifice will never again be repeated. And that is why, and neither were the, the, the blood of goats and bulls and animals were to be required any longer because Jesus had fulfilled it all. They were just types. They were insignificant. They were just shadows. Until the thing itself, the reality came, which was Christ. And that's why when he said it is finished, the Bible says that the veil of the temple was torn in two. Because it was no longer necessary, it was no longer required. Because it is finished. It's completed. It never to be repeated. And so that's the aspect of the high priesthood in a brief sense, concerning the ministry of Christ. But I want to go to another aspect of the word finished in the Greek, this word teleo that was brought out in the, in the meaning when it says a discharge of debt. And so again, think about Christ, because when he finished the work of offering himself on Calvary and said the words, it is finished, he paid the debt that we could never pay church. You see, he, he, he discharged us from the, 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 um, the stake or the, uh, the law that it had on us, the condemnation that was upon us, the guilt that was upon us, the damnation that was upon us. And so Christ, amen, when he said it, in his, it is finished, he paid for sin in its entirety and he paid in full, which means that he paid for your sin and he paid for my sin. Hallelujah. And therefore, our debt has been paid. We have been discharged from the condemnation of hell. We have, been, we have passed from judgment into life. We are no longer, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have passed. We have gone through. Hallelujah. And now we are perfected forever in Christ Jesus. And so we have been discharged from the curse of the law. We have the Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
those wages that we have heaped up for ourselves and those that will not those who are not saved will bear the wages of of their sin in the judgment but for us who have been saved hallelujah we've been discharged from that debt and it's a debt that we could never ever pay but christ paid it in full with his blood in heaven hallelujah and isn't it interesting? It's a debt that we could never pay. Our good works, nothing we can do to attain in peace. Only the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And not even the blood of animals could pay for it. In actual fact, if we go over to um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, it says these words, for the law having a shadow of the good things. It was a shadow of the good things that were to come, not the very image of those things. So don't look to those things in and of themselves. Now listen to what it says. Can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. You see, animal sacrifices could never make anyone approach to approach perfect. We couldn't. That's why every year they were reminded of their sin. That's why it was only the high priest. And once a year, he could only go in with blood. Otherwise, if he didn't, he would be struck down in the Holy of Holies and he would be die instantaneously under that flaming sword of God's judgment because sin cannot be in the presence of God. And that's why uh, the Bible says that these things could not uh, uh, perfect man. They could, could not enable us to approach God. But I tell you, when Jesus said it is finished in a loud voice, that veil was torn and that way was made for us to go straight in. And that is why Hebrews 10, 19, uh, chapter 10, verse 19, it says, brethren, by the blood of Jesus, we can enter with boldness into his presence a boldness and a confidence and assurance because we have been perfected once and for all by the blood of Jesus Christ. How glorious it is, church, to consider these things. There's one last aspect that I want to look with you, and this is what we touched upon in the introduction, and it's this. It's the defeat of Satan himself. See, Jesus uh, actually, Jesus made a cry of victory because not only has he triumphed over sin in his sacrificial death, but he triumphed over Satan. Hallelujah. And this is something that we cannot overlook. This is something that is part of the victory of Christ. This is why these three words terrorized hell. Because this was the fulfillment, the time that that demon feared when he saw Jesus. He feared because right back in the book of Genesis, after sin entered the world and God brought a curse and a judgment upon Satan himself, he said in Genesis chapter 3, he says uh, uh, um, that, the, that the, the seed of the woman, would crush the serpent's head. That seed of the woman is Christ. That seed of the woman is Christ, and he will crush, he will bruise the serpent's head, and he will deal, uh, a, 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 he will, uh, deal a death blow to Satan himself. And this must be understood when Jesus said the words, it is finished, because the Bible says that he crushed the serpent's head. And the serpent bruised his heel. 
I tell you, there is so much in that church. What a victory Christ has accomplished as he defeated Satan himself at Calvary. You see, this is what the Bible teaches us. And we can see this. Let's look at it. Actually, we'll go to John chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus said these words. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. For if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Now listen to that, because wrapped up in that is, is the one signifying by what death he would die. This is the crucifixion. And that through the crucifixion, he would judge the ruler of this world. He would be cast out. And in being lifted up at Calvary, he would draw men to himself. This was something that could not be done because sin cannot be in the presence of God. But Jesus was going to deal with it all. And when he said it is finished, this is, we are dealing that God has judged. Jesus has judged the ruler of this world, the God of this world. Satan himself, uh, the seed of the woman, has bruised and crushed his head. He's a defeated foe, according to what was accomplished at Calvary. God executed this judgment as, as it was foretold in the scriptures. It was a defeat of Satan himself. Now listen to this. In the New Testament, we get some further insight. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, let's look at this, and then we're going to bring its context. Because it says these words, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them and triumphed over them in it. You see, that when Jesus, yes, there was the tragedy, Yes, there was the suffering where the, the hordes of hell thought that they were conquering, that they were winning. But I tell you, when Jesus said it is finished and after his uh, and then it preceded his resurrection, his, I tell you now, the hordes of hell were shaken. They, the Bible says he made a public spectacle of them. In other words, the scripture says he humiliated Satan and the forces of darkness. He judged them. He was victorious. Death could not hold him down. And what he accomplished was a death blow to Satan himself. And he triumphed. Listen to that. He triumphed. This is why the tragedy was turned into a triumph and Jesus conquered. Hallelujah. Now, what did he conquer? He conquered Satan. But what's the context of Colossians chapter 2, verse 15? Let's go to the previous verses and read from chapter 13. Listen carefully, because this is the context. I'll say it before we read it. It is this, our sins... He disarmed the principalities and powers because Jesus paid for our sins and sin gives a legal right to Satan. And that's why Jesus would say to the Pharisees that you are of your father, the devil. You see, because we are sin, he who sins is a slave to sin. And so this is the aspect that we, we, were, uh, we were held in bondage. Satan had a legal right over the souls of men. And so at Calvary, in, in, in offering himself as that sacrifice, listen now to Colossians 2, verse 13. It says, and you, 
being dead in your trespasses, which is your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, all sin has been forgiven. We were dead in trespass and sins, but we've been made alive. This was impossible without the cross. And listen to verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And so here it is. Our sins are being put on Christ. And, and he has borne in the judicial sense. He has paid the price for our sins. Satan has not. See, the, the, the handwriting of the, the requirements that was against us was the law. And all of the, the we have, we were guilty of breaking the law and the judgment of the law, the curse of the law, all the condemnation of the law that was upon us. We were without hope. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were, we were slaves to sins. We were of our father, the devil. But you see, the Bible says that Jesus, when he triumphed, when he said the words, it is finished, and he, and he poured out his blood on the altar of heaven, the Bible teaches us, hallelujah, that now we have been made alive. We have been cleared from the guilt and condemnation. It's been taken out of the way. And that's why the principalities and powers of darkness have been disarmed because Satan has no right over us. Amen. We belong to God. We are children of the most high God. And so therefore, even though we are in this flesh and we have, and we, and we have the battles that, uh, that, that exist until we put off this body, but nevertheless, the victory is already ours church and what Christ accomplished that triumph. He has disarmed the principalities and powers and he has humiliated them and in redeeming you and i as his children hallelujah we are his we belong to him we no longer he has nothing on us and so you see that the cross when he said it is finished it was a death blow to satan himself because now we redemption has been completed. If I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And now we, amen, we are in Christ. Hallelujah. From tragedy, from the tragedy of Calvary to the triumph of Calvary. You see, let me conclude with these last thoughts, church. Christ's triumph is our triumph. His victory is our victory. And so when I was, if I asked you the question this morning, do you have the victory? You shouldn't have to think about it. You shouldn't have to ponder about it, regardless of your circumstances in life. Doesn't matter. I know they can be horrible. Outwardly, there can be suffering. I understand that. I don't want to diminish that in any way. But when you consider what our spiritual standing in Christ, church, we have the victory. We have the victory. That's why Hebrews points us to look unto the author and finisher of our faith, to look to our high priest, amen, who has been offered and who has purchased our salvation. And so that's why Romans will say words, like uh, uh, he whom this, uh, sorry, um, uh, what does it say? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
And then Paul says in Romans 8, if who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who? So the devil wants to tell you how horrible you are, how much you failed, and he wants to bring condemnation upon your life. But you see, Jesus at the cross, he paid that debt. You are free. And so you're not under that bondage. And that's what the devil wants to do. If you confess your sins, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. But the devil wants to keep people trapped and not enter into the triumph of Christ, not enter into their victory that they have in Christ, because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we have a high priest this morning. And in Hebrews, the Bible tells us that he is able to save to the uttermost. Oh, hallelujah. You know, when he saves us, church, it's not a partial redemption. It's not a process. It's an instantaneous act through grace, by grace, through faith. Not of works, not something you do. He did it all. It is finished. And by faith, we receive it. He whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, the Bible says, But he, Jesus, because he continues forever, that is his high, high priesthood, according to the order of Melchizedek, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. You see, Christ lives to make intercession. There's the accuser of the brethren who stands day and night accusing us before God to say, oh, my God, look at your failure. Look at your sin. How could you have done that? Look at you. You're a Christian and look at. And yet and he wants to hold us into bondage. But Bible, my Bible says that my high priest. He's able to save to the uttermost. Amen. He has disarmed the principalities and powers. And that, amen, he lives to make intercession because that blood, that blood perfected us forever. It was eternal. Hallelujah. It is finished. God bless you, church, this morning. And may you live in his victory. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for Calvary. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the victory. Lord, when we consider these words, it is finished. And the diversity of those words, Lord, all that you accomplished, all that was completed, all that has come to an end. Oh, God, how glorious it is. We thank you for this great salvation. We thank you that you are our high priest. We thank you that you live to make intercession. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.